Welcome to The Markets, sponsored by the CME Group. And for Orion Samuelson, I'm Steve Alexander. And oh boy, what a week it was on Wall Street. Stocks dropped sharply on Friday, concluding what was a really crazy week on Wall Street, a weaker-than-expected jobs report, and China-U.S. trade tensions sent the Dow Jones Industrial Average lower by about 559 points to 24,389 and erased gains for the year. At one point, the Dow was up more than 8% in 2018. The S&P 500 pulled back 2.3% to 2633 and also turned negative for the year. The Nasdaq dropped 3%, close to 69.69. Shares of large-cap tech companies led the way lower. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google parent Alphabet all traded lower. Apple's stock also fell 3.6%, erasing its gains for the year. After Morgan Stanley cut its price target on Apple, citing weakening iPhone sales. For the week, the major indices all dropped more than 4%. So to try to make sense of all of this, let's bring in Susan Schmidt, who is head of U.S. equities at Aviva Investors, and she's based in Chicago. Susan, it was quite a week, wasn't it? It was quite a week. We are seeing volatility uh, much higher than we've seen in recent years, and this was an extremely volatile week with a lot of ups and downs. The S&P peak-to-trough move was over 6%, and we have not seen that in a long time. It just shows you emotions are running high, and investors are spinning from one issue to the next. Well, let's talk about why investors' emotions are running so high. Can you pinpoint any particular cause or, or group of causes? Well, I think we have two main entities that the investor community, investment community is looking at. So one is the Trump administration with regards to trade. So what are President Trump and President Xi doing and how is that going to resolve itself? And the second is the Fed and what's going to happen with interest rates. We've got the December Fed meeting looming. It's largely expect, it's largely expected that the Fed will raise interest rates once again. But now, because of concerns about the economy overall, the market is really wondering what path the Fed will take in 2019. And will they be sensitive if the market is slowing, if the economy is slowing? Will the Fed be sensitive to that and reduce the pace of raising? I've heard some conflicting opinions about the economy, just what kind of shape it is in. Some big names have said the economy is just fine. There's not a problem. The problem, as one man put it, is we've gone from a period of zero sensitivity to headlines to a period of hypersensitivity. Traders are reacting to all of the different headlines and tweets. I think that's very true. We're seeing a lot of speculation, not so much what's happening right now in the economy, but what might happen in 2019 and in 2020. Remember that we are at a long, we've had a long stretch of recovery here, and people are looking over their shoulder waiting for things to turn down. We've been on an upward trend really since 2009, and so it's unprecedented that we've had a recovery go on for this long. It's been slow, it's been gradual, but it's been consistently trending up. I think the other thing that people are worried about is Sentiment builds on sentiment. We don't have any certainty what happens with trade. So people are taking a more cautious approach around that and really bringing in expectations for 2019. We saw over 60% of the companies in the S&P that reported their third quarter earnings numbers, almost 60% of them brought down guidance for the fourth quarter. So we're seeing this 
conservativeness take hold in the market. And I think that's what investors are responding to. So some of the conservativeness is based on concern that the trade war will get worse. Or as J.P. Morgan Chase's Jamie Dimon put it, it's a trade skirmish right now, but investors and companies are building in for the possibility that it becomes a full-fledged trade war. Do you think that's what's uh, going on in part? I think there is a movement back and forth. We have a very fragile detente, seemingly, between the two presidents, but at the same time, we have some tweets and some dialogue that suggest that things are going to get tougher in discussions. Right now, we don't see incremental tariffs as of January 1st, but we're still really in an unknown. I think it's to the benefit of both countries' governments to smooth this out as much as possible. But I think the American investor is looking at this saying, this is a very large unknown for us, and it's going to impact our costs and the profitability of our companies significantly should it happen in its worst case. There's been quite a bit of chatter over the last few days about the treasuries and the inversion and that it means bad things for the economy. Will you expand on that, please? Yes. So an inversion means that the near-term interest rates are higher than the long-term interest rates. So it means that when you look at longer term, you're expecting things to actually slow down. And that's what people are worried about. Very often you will hear people say, if we see the yield curve invert, so the front end goes higher than the long end, the short term is higher than the long term in terms of interest rates, then we're in for a recession. That's not always true, but the concern this week is that people have been seeking safety and they've been buying U.S. Treasuries. When they buy Treasuries, the price goes up and therefore their interest rate that they deliver goes down. We're seeing that yield curve flatten because the 10-year Treasury has dropped quite a bit in terms of yield. And so now there's not a lot of difference between the long-term rate and the near-term rate. There's a cost for putting your money into an instrument, and you expect a return for that, for locking it up for that period of time. And so that higher rent is that higher rate is meant to pay you for taking that longer-term commitment. It's also a reason that flattening of the curve, that's also a reason why we're seeing weakness in the market, because people are reading that as concern in the economy, and then they're also reading it in concern in the underlying economy and banks. We've seen weakness in the financial sector, because remember that banks make their money on the difference between the short-term and the long-term in the yield curve. Yeah, the banks were among the sectors. I think every sector was lower this week. In particular, I was looking at, at the technology sector and the, the FANGs, uh, those type of large cap uh, tech companies that just did not do well at all. Anything particular there, or was it a combination of things? Well, interestingly, we saw almost every major U.S. index, index go down over 4% this week. And so the weakness was really in banks, the semiconductors, capital goods, autos, transport. So heavy industry and financials. And those are not unusual to see weaken when you're concerned about growth in the economy. As we were going into the week, remember that technology had been an incredibly strong sector for us through 2017. We saw it weaken as we moved into 2018. And so while it has been leading for many, several years, we've seen that reverse. And so you're seeing technology lead us on the way down here. And In the past month or so, I would say the pressure has come off technology relative to the other 
sectors, but they're all suffering as people worry about the future of the economy. During the session on Friday, the president of the St. Louis Fed uh, mentioned that it was possible that the Fed may pass on the December rate increase and raise it in January instead. What did you make of that? Well, I think it's good for the Fed to keep the market guessing. And while we still largely expect an interest rate increase from the December meeting, I think the market is questioning the Fed and what they will do in 2019. And the Fed has been signaling up until a month ago that they really were planning for continued interest rate increases into 2019. We've seen them pivot in tone over the last month and talk about data from the economy, looking at how things are going, and really trying to soften their tone. And I think they're trying to reassure the market that they will look at the underlying economy and not raise interest rates blindly. They're looking to see how things are going and what the impact might be from trade before they make any decisions. In fact, the traders didn't pay a lot of attention, apparently, to what uh, Mr. Bullard said, because after he said those things, uh, the market uh, dropped another uh, two or 300 points. Uh, the Dow did. So you still think we're going to have a December increase? The market largely expects a December increase. I do think it's interesting that... Uh, Bullard did comment on the potential for a change, and I think one of the important messages we're getting from the Fed is they're trying to highlight their flexibility. No path is set in stone, and they're trying to highlight that they're there to support the economy. That's their function. So ultimately, the market will hear that, and it will be reassuring while they continue to wait for some sort of resolution around trade. Next week, I think we're done with earnings pretty much, right? Is, is there anything that's going to be driving the market next week? We are pretty much done with earnings. I think it, attention is going to turn internationally as well. There's one other issue, and that is Europe. What's happening with Brexit? And so one of the issues about the economy overall is not the U.S. economy, but the global economy. Have we hit peak earnings? And is the global economy slowing? So I think people will be looking to see what the headlines are as Brexit has a turning point. And also we have Italy following close behind because the Italian budget is under review with the European Central Bank. And so we have to figure that out. So we have some news coming from both fronts, not only from Asia, but also from Europe. And I think that is going to be a lot of distraction for the U.S. investor. The big numbers, the large losses on Wall Street and uh, potentially to uh, our 401ks and other investments is certainly alarming. But can a uh, correction be a good thing, a healthy thing? Well, I always think a correction can be a healthy thing because the market should go up and down. Over time, we've seen the market trend upward. But there is a back and forth. And we have not seen a true correction in quite some time. It's been unusual to have this expansion that we've experienced over the last couple of years. So I do think it's healthy. I don't think we've seen one in this market. And we're starting to feel the pangs of that. The other thing that happens when you don't get one frequently is that you forget what it feels like when the market goes down. And so it creates more of a shock value when things turn in a downward direction. Shocking indeed for many of us, but we will get through it, right, Susan? Indeed we will. I do think that the underlying U.S. economy is still very healthy. The federal statistics on loan growth in the third quarter were positive, and we continue to see that strength into the fourth quarter. It's really fighting against sentiment at this point. Let's wait and see what the data shows, and then we'll see where 2019 takes us. 
Susan Schmidt is head of U.S. equities at Aviva Investors in Chicago. Her phone line is a little funky today because she's at the company headquarters in London. Susan, I hope you're having a little bit of fun along with the work that you're doing over there. I am indeed. It is Christmas time in London, and the city is beautiful, and it's a pleasure to be here and see my London colleagues and be part of the global uh, discussion on what's happening not only with China, but also with Europe. Susan Schmidt of Aviva Investors. Now let's narrow the focus a bit onto your personal finances and how they were impacted by what happened over the past week and what to do about it. Terry Savage of TerrySavage.com spoke with the Wintrust Business Lunch and Steve Bertrand this week. I would headline this, A Bear Market, question mark, and the subhead would be Recession Coming, question mark, question mark. Well, here's a question to add to that. Is there any one thing that you can point to that was the cause of the sell-off this week? No, I think there are a lot of things you can point to. Uh, Let me start with the practical, technical ones that typically trigger bear markets and economic slowdowns. And the first thing is, first of all, let's take a look at all the good news we've had in the last two weeks that a couple of days sent the market up sharply. The Fed chairman saying, hey, you know, we're pretty close to being done raising interest rates. The market loved that. The president having a dinner with the Chinese president and saying, hey, yeah, we're not going to fight. We're going we're gonna to maybe be able to work this out. The market loved that. With all that good news, the market could not really soar back to its, uh, back to its recent highs. And then we have some negative news. Number, I'm going to give you number one, two, and three. Number one is interest rates. We have had something, and people hear the headlines, an inversion. Usually, long-term rates are higher than short-term rates for the simple reason you take more risk lending money long-term. In the last few months, we've had sort of a flat yield curve. You didn't get that much more interest for locking your money up for 10 years, which is why I've been saying, you know, chicken money, six months, a year out. Um, And truly, at six months, you can get about 2.5% interest. Yesterday, we saw a moment where short-term rates moved a little higher than long-term rates. That's because long-term rates have come down out of fear of future weakness. So the 10-year Treasury note yielded 3.25% a few weeks ago and was down to 2.9% yesterday. It's a big drop in rates at the long end. Short rates have moved higher, as all you savers know. And typically when it happens that short rates do move higher than long, you set the stage for an economic slowdown and a recession. Number two, technicals. There are people who like tea leaves. I, I mean, I respect them. There are a lot of really terrific people who have lots of indicators. One of the most watched indicators is the Standard & Poor 500 moved below its 200-day moving average of closing prices. Moving average means go back the last 200 days, and tomorrow we'll go back 200 days. So the, it's a kind of a moving average. It broke below that. That is a uh, you know, a technical indicator that the market's going lower. And the third is the volatility. Um, maybe we have been lulled to sleep in the last year or two or three when we always buy the dips and the market always moves right back, but we're getting these very volatile swings. That says the pros don't know where they want to be long or short. So how do you know what you should be doing? And the answer is not about the market. It's about you and your personal finances and how really upset you're going to be. Because, you know, they don't ring a bell and say, bear market started. Right. Only in hindsight do we see it. But if, if if they ring the bell in two or three or four weeks, 
Wouldn't you rather have raised some cash now, even now, down 600 more points? Terry Savage, whose advice you can read at terrysavage.com. Coming up, Max Armstrong and a special guest to talk about agricultural commodities right after this. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Welcome back to The Markets, sponsored by the CME Group. And I'm Steve Alexander, in for Orion Samuelson once again this week. And here comes our buddy, Max Armstrong. In the studio with us this weekend from International Agribusiness Group is Mark Fight. Farmington, Michigan is where you guys are located, right, Mark? Yep, but the uh, hub of all agriculture, Max. <laughs> Farmington. That's exactly. A suburb of Detroit, is that yes. right? Yep, we're outside of Detroit. IAG-group.com? That's correct. All yep. right. Yep, thanks. Well, let us talk about, first of all, the trade front. Uh, there was that tantalizing tidbit thrown out there by the president at the conclusion of the G20 meeting a week ago, and uh, many of us thought at the time it lacked specificity and we haven't had much since then have we no we haven't uh, immediate and and substantial we're still trying to wait for a a definition of what that is and uh, we're, we're waiting for beans to get loaded on boats and they were clinging for hope as the market uh, went up immediately after that news. But then we've we've stabilized a little bit with some gains this week. It hasn't been too bad. Maybe it's that hope that there's more to come. Yeah, I think the market uh, it's a, it's a little scared to to short the market today with uh, the fear of more real substantial news. What do you think is going on here? What's your best to guess? Well, I think we're making progress, but it's a long road. Uh, we were optimistic at the beginning of this that. Uh, things could get settled quickly. Um, I saw a a report, Congressional Committee report, on the list of things that we're looking for out of China. The executive summary was 36 pages long. That isn't going to get resolved right away. That's pretty weighty. It is. To be sure. Meanwhile, we continue to lose market share and uh, perhaps irreparable damage to market share. Yeah, I think we can get it back. Most of these markets trade about, it's about money. And who can who can supply it the cheapest? And and I think ultimately we get maybe a year from now we're back to uh, hopefully back to normal. Are some of our beans now going out of uh, the uh, uh, New Orleans port? Are some of those a little bit cheaper than uh, if they were to originate those out of South America? Did I see that the other day? We're still cheaper. At one point, we had uh, we were offering October and November beans at almost two and a half dollars cheaper than than uh, Brazil, and what it and and the China was still not buying. And what it tells you is this is not a tariff. This is an embargo. And it's not economic, and that's, I think that's why it's been difficult to really uh, analyze and, and assess what the damages are. What's happening with other important commodities as far as the Chinese are concerned? And I'm thinking about pork. Uh, they have an insatiable demand over there, and they have some problems. Yes, I think the short term, with the with the flu issue, we've seen some consumption go away from pork, just a, a knee-jerk reaction from their consumers. But I think the potential is certainly big in, in pork. If we want to uh, look at a little bit of pork, what, what it would impact, what 
impact it would have to the market that would be significant. We've already seen really pork prices come up $10 since uh, this this swine flu issue uh, started. So I th- I think that potential is is something that we can hang our hopes on. Well, there's been the talk that this swine flu uh, epidemic over there, the, the African swine fever, I should say, yep. uh, to be specific about the ailment, is far bigger than they've let on and has far greater potential in terms of demand than maybe the market has already priced. Yeah, I, I think this is this is a really difficult issue to, to contain, and it's already spread across most of their major uh, hog-producing areas. Uh, they've got to change some of their cultural issues. Uh, I don't think this goes away very quickly. Are they already buying some pork sourced through Hong Kong? Well, we saw some sales last week, some pork sales for this this year and, and next year. So we're optimistic that they, we can start to see a little more business there. While we're on the trade front, we uh, have to remember that the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement isn't put into cement yet. Uh, is there the possibility that will be derailed? Well, I think I think that's relatively low. I think they've they've negotiated a relatively solid um, um, uh, uh, agreement. The issue still is uh, steel and and aluminum and steel tariffs, and as long as those are still there, we're going to have issues with pork and dairy. Washington has to sign on totally, though, right? Yes, and we've got two to three months before that's going to happen. Do you think there's any possibility partisan politics could uh, play a role in in uh, hampering that approval? Although we've noticed in the past, approval of uh, trade agreements sometimes involves strange bedfellows. Uh, maybe it's a Republican president pushing it along and some Democratic lawmakers, lawmakers with districts involved get involved and help uh, promoting it. Well, never underestimate what... What partisan politics can do to derail anything, but uh, I, I'm optimistic that we can get that, that deal. The Canadian and Mexican deal is close enough to what we had in NAFTA. Um, it's beneficial for everybody. I think that gets done. I saw a tally the other day of how much corn is still standing in the field out there. It was a little bit of a surprising number. Was it a was it five hundred million bushels? It's uh, you can equate it to that. Uh, we certainly driving across from Michigan. I saw plenty of corn spotted here. We even saw some outside, it, not far from the studio here. But that's not unusual in Michigan to have corn out by the beginning of December. Is it's, it still it's, out there? It's uh, a little. You unusual. guys are always it's, late. <laughs> it's, yeah, we probably true, but and I. I think it'll get harvested. We've got weather forecast. Uh, you know, two, three good days would do a lot of that. And cold temperatures would help freezing yeah, up. We really need the ground to freeze. To, we need to, to be supported. Yep. So you're not too worried about that. I, I think most of that gets gets uh, harvested. I think the market's anticipating a smaller yield once we see that in January. So I think some of that's already baked in. We got some numbers in the week ahead. What are you thinking? So. Tuesday, we do see we don't get any new NAS data, so we don't don't get no any new, new crop pr- production number production numbers exactly, and so I think I don't think we'll see much change. Usually, December is pretty quiet uh, on the bean side. If they could raise uh, uh, crush a little bit, maybe they drop exports. Corn, I think there's a fifty fifty chance they drop exports, but uh, I don't I don't expect to see much change there. While I'm visiting with you, I'm reminded of the fact you're the son of a now-retired dairyman. So you must uh, watch that dairy situation still closely, do you not, Mark? We do. And I think there's signs that... that we're at nearing an inflection point in, in dairy. The problem is how do you, how do you time that? K 
can it uh, is it this month or is it six months away? Uh, we've seen a 30,000 cow decline in the U.S. over the last few months. That's the first time we've seen that since 2013. Um, we've got margins that are relatively poor in, in Europe and, and U.S. So I, I think we're getting to a point where uh, dairy prices start to move higher. Some people have been talking about maybe the second or third quarter of the year. Is that your thinking, too? I, I think by second quarter. I think by mid mid-year next year, we're, we're seeing back into the black on, on milk prices. It's going to be too late for some of those folks who uh, had to hang it up, isn't it? It is. It really is. And uh, for my family, it was, it was not an economic decision. It was more a lifestyle and, and stage of life decision. There but, comes uh, a time, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Your dad uh, thought? Yes, and, and brother. But uh, for others, it, yeah, it's if, if we go another six months, it's going to be too long. What are we seeing, meanwhile, with the demand for dairy products? Is is this mainly a global problem that the demand has been sagging globally? Well, I, I think the the demand has always been relatively solid. It's been a production issue. We expanded a little too quickly. We, we've um, and, and what it takes is we continue to expand demand, and you just need that line to cross the production line. We need to slow down the production a little bit, and I think we're starting to do that, both in Europe and U.S. I was going to say, our U.S. producers haven't been the only ones uh, swimming in milk and in uh, a red bottom line, red ink. In fact, uh, in uh, New Zealand, they have two, haven't they? Yes. it's uh, If you look at the major three, we look at New Zealand, Europe, and, and the U.S., and certainly Europe milk prices are higher, but their feed costs with wheat up are are higher than ours right now, relatively speaking, and we've really got some of the poorest margins in the U.S. that we've seen all year. New Zealand, uh, Fonterra just announced yesterday they dropped their what uh, their milk price, and, and we don't think that's low enough yet. So, yeah, everybody's suffering. I'm doing my part. I continue to reach in there and grab that gallon of milk. And this time of the year, we'll have a little bit of eggnog in tribute to the milk producers. Unadulterated, of course, uh, in this case. Of course. Well, Pure nog. We appreciate your help, Max. <laughs> Good to talk to you, Mark. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Max. Mark Fight joining us in the studio, International Agribusiness Group, IAG-group.com. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Welcome back to the markets, and as we wrap things up for today, let's see how the crops and critters did at the Chicago Board of Trade and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Wheat had the best week of the three. March wheat added 15 and three quarters cents to 5.31 and a quarter a bushel, touching its highest point since October 29th. The contract was up 3% on the week. That's the biggest rally in about four months. January soybeans rose seven and a quarter cents on Friday to 9.16 and three quarters a bushel, and for the week, beans were up two and a half percent. That was the contract's best gain in six weeks. March corn on Friday was up two and three quarter cents at three eighty-five and a half a bushel, notching a second straight weekly gain of about two point one percent. Lean hog features closed out the week on a positive note on Friday as hopes for a pickup in pork sales to China fueled speculative buying that lifted prices more than one percent and reversed Thursday's losses. February lean hogs settled up ninety-seven and a half cents at sixty-seven dollars eighty-seven and a half cents a hundred. 
And April hogs added a dollar five to seventy-two dollars thirty-two and a half cents a hundred. Live cattle futures closed mixed on Friday as the market awaited cash cattle trading at U.S. Plains feedlot auctions. Cattle sellers were holding out for prices higher than last week's one hundred seventeen dollars to one hundred eighteen dollars a hundred. Although packer bids on Friday afternoon remained around one hundred sixteen dollars against offers of one hundred nineteen to one hundred twenty dollars. February live cattle futures settled down. 27 and a half cents at $121.52 a hundred, while April cattle rose 15 cents to $123.62 and a half cents. Feeder cattle futures were also mixed with gains capped by rising corn prices, which rose by about 2% this week. January feeder cattle settled up 17 and a half cents at $144.37 and a half cents a hundred, while March feeders ended down about 7 and a half cents at $141 dollars 87 and a half cents turning to crude oil futures surged on friday after opec russia and several other producers reached an agreement to cut output next year by 1.2 million barrels per day during the first six months of 2019 brent crude the international benchmark for oil rose a dollar 61 or 2.7 percent to 61.67 and it's going to go higher if you believe what energy research firm wood mckenzie forecasts it says that production cut will tighten markets by the third quarter of 2019 and cause Brent to rise back up above 70 bucks a barrel. West Texas Intermediate Futures ended Friday's session up $1.12 or 2.2% at 52.61 per barrel. And well, that'll do it for the markets this week, sponsored by the CME Group. In for Orion Samuelson, and thank you to Max Armstrong, I'm Steve Alexander.